1: episode 317 of the talking chop podcast i am your host brad Rowland. it is tuesday evening october 19th and it was a bit of a heartbreaker or more than a bit of a heartbreaker for the atlanta braves this evening falling in uh, devastating fashion we could say to the dodgers in game three on the bright side they still lead the series two to one but uh this is a moment that uh you know i think we all have kind of a similar reaction of letting one get away and i am joined by eric cole hello sir how are you
2: life is pain bradley Life is pain.
1: Life is pain. I I, I joked with you, and not even joked. I guess, I mean, kind of joked in a way that I would before we started recording, that I allowed myself to believe for about an hour this evening. Uh, And in that hour, uh, things went very, very wrong way. Um, We'll get into it, of course, uh, later in the show, but the Braves famously led by three runs with six outs to get in this game, and then allowed four runs in the eighth, Headlines by Cody Bellinger home run off Luke Jackson on a pitch that was not anywhere close to the strike zone, and uh, the end result, of course, is the loss. But it's also a bit of history, and not the greatest history. It was actually the first time in Dodgers playoff history, and the Dodgers have been around for a long time. They played a lot of playoff games. First time they've ever actually come back from a three-plus run deficit after seven in a game. So that kind of tells you how unlikely it was. Obviously, the Dodgers are good. So it's not like a huge surprise when they do things that are, uh, that are impressive, but uh, whenever you're leading by three runs with six outs to go, uh, you're supposed to win. And they didn't win.
2: Yeah. Uh, definitely a frustrating loss too, is because, you know, Luke Jackson gets beat around in the eighth inning and just, it felt like he just wasn't pitching that poorly. I mean, I think that the Dodgers like have certainly had a, like a scouting report that they kind of understood what he was going to be trying to do, but like, like, one of the singles was on a ball that was like low in a way that just got through as a ground ball. And then the Bellinger home run was just like, I don't even understand how he hit the ball out. I still don't. I mean, I I know that he's a big tall guy. So if anyone's going to have a chance to hit that ball out like that, then I suppose it's him. But I mean, he had to tomahawk that ball out and he, and it, it wasn't a cheapie. He really hit the ball hard. And you know, the, the Braves, they, did everything that they had to do in this game, I think to win it. They got Bueller out early. I'm sure we're going to be revisiting that little subject later on the podcast, but you know, this is a tough one, but it's worth noting that the Braves have already hung a couple tough ones on the Dodgers too, in this series. So at the end of the day, I, I was never super comfortable in this game or really in any game in this series, because I have a lot of respect for what that, that Dodgers lineup can do. And so at the end of the day, the Braves are still leading. That's good um they still got a couple games already in their pocket but you know certainly could have been a much better feeling tonight than what than it was to be sure. Yep,
1: yeah, and we'll uh as we always do we'll do- sort of dive into what to what transpired. We'll go pretty quickly. Um always not as uh, not quite as fun to talk about losses and we do like to have fun on the show whenever possible, but uh we'll get through this one as we would. Uh and uh, again, this is kind of kind of a brutal loss in every way. I think we're all a little bit shell shocked after this one, but now is the time to get to business real quickly and go through this game so honestly if <laughs> there were two big swings in this game the second one went against the Braves uh I guess maybe three big swings the first one went against the Braves the second one went in favor of the Braves and the third one went against the Braves but um, coming out of the gate here uh the Braves could have scored in the first inning uh they actually led the game out led the game off with two singles from Rosario and Freddie Freeman. Uh, the freakout over Freddie's 0 for eight spell was kind of uh, hilarious to me. Actually, in the last couple of days, I wasn't prepared for that. But we talked about Freddie a little bit on the podcast two days ago. But uh, it was like it became this like massive storyline about how how, you know, how bad Freddie was struggling. But guys, it's eight it's eight plate appearances. Um but he singles and Austin uh, sorry not not Austin Riley. Ozzy Albies hits a line drive to center field that had a six fifty expected expected batting average. Uh, Rosario had a uh, base running mistake and uh, Eric. Not, if you've heard this before, but the Braves have not been very good on the base pass in this series. Um, Rosario gets caught second base for a double play. Riley strikes out, and uh, the Braves give away a chance to at least get one or two in the top of the first, and that became more magnified when Charlie Morton was not his best at the outset of this game, gave up a two-run home run to Corey Seager about three minutes after the game started. So Braves gave up an opportunity that the, which they could have scored in the top of the first and suddenly they're down 2 nothing, and with Charlie Morton very much wobbling and honestly probably fortunate to get to the first inning without either having to leave the game because he was so bad or also just because of more runs. So I say all that, I know I said a lot there, but um, it went from positive to negative and then like almost like kind of neutral because I felt like they should have been down by more than two runs at the end of the first and that kind of not blowing up too, too bad gave them more of a chance.
2: Yeah, uh, I honestly thought that Charlie Morton was going to be lucky to get through three innings in this game. Uh, I think it's th- probably to the Braves' benefit to n- stop giving up two-run homers to Corey Seager in the first inning of games. Uh, that probably seems like a good start to any game plan that they might be trying to, you know, draw up uh, it, in the aftermath of this game. But you know, it, one thing I it certainly was you did notice and it was very similar to the Scherzer start. It's just like it. it Bueller definitely didn't look like vintage Bueller. He definitely didn't look a guy who's a super, super sharp. Um, obviously the Braves get a little bit unlucky with some, you know, bad stuff and, you know, <laughs> running into some more outs, which is obviously less than ideal. Uh, you know, when you're going super aggressive on the base paths, uh, it kind of opens you up to make dumb mistakes. And in Rosario's case, he got caught off to, you know, make that into a line out double play, which obviously stunk. But, you know, the biggest thing is just these first innings, like the Braves, like, you know, Ian was not good in the first inning you know, either, and they have to kind of be able to kind of settle into this, these games without being in a hole early. Uh, unfortunately, Morton was really, really just not good. That, the I mean, that he hung a, 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 a curveball basically in like where, if Corey Seeger said, I want to make a pitch to hit out as far as humanly possible, he would say hang a curveball right where Charlie Morton threw it and that's what happened and it's so you know you know sometimes you're gonna Mookie's just gonna get on base sometimes you know he's the guy that you can't you have to respect a bit but you know the the Corey Seager thing is just like that was just a really bad pitch in a in a bad location and it got hit a mile which is what's supposed to happen and then all of a sudden like then it turned into a whole ordeal. Like the bases were loaded when that game, when the inning ended. He was over 30 pitches in the first inning. And I was just thinking it could be a, uh, this could be a pretty brutal night. And it was a brutal night, but not for the reasons that I thought in the first inning.
1: Yeah. I mean, Morton just was very bad. And, normally, you know, I trust Charlie. He's very good uh, overall. And he did settle in to his credit. But uh, it was really wavering to the point where, you know, one more base runner probably he's coming out in the first inning. And that would have been a disaster on a number of levels. But he got through it. Uh, did have, by the way, he tied his season high for walks in a game with four in the first inning, and he did so without before recording the third out. So he had two outs and four walks at one point, which is unthinkable for Charlie Morton. But uh, you know, Bueller didn't have his best stuff, as you said, and we'll get to him in a moment. Um, you know, they, they navigate the It's they're down 0-2, but it's not a disaster. Um they keep that at two to two until the fourth inning. And then in the top of the fourth, the Braves have their own fireworks. Um, Freddie leads it off with a single Austin Riley has a one out double and I use the the, the word double loosely. Uh, Thank you, Gavin Lux. I I must say a very big hat tip to Gavin Lux for uh, opening the can of worms in the fourth inning. Um, I guess maybe it was technically supposed to be ruled a double. Um, I don't know how the rule book looks on that and how the official score was looking at that one, but I'm sure everybody saw this, but Gavin Lux makes a mess of it in center field. Uh, Certainly should have made the play um had to carry him off his glove and uh, that allowed the Braves to not only avoid an out but also get runners in second and third with one out and then Jock Peterson benefits and let's actually spend some time on this now uh the home plate umpiring in this game was not the the best
2: Uh, truly for either
1: side yeah I I was gonna say it it, wasn't like it was one-sided but
2: it's it started off pretty dodger heavy Right? Because there was just like some pitches that Braves were getting like struck, were striking out on. And then like Morton was just not getting calls. Like there's some top of the zone type calls early in the game where you're like, those are just, those are, they're strikes. There's not, I wouldn't even necessarily call them borderline. Right. And he just wasn't getting those calls. But then, you know, to, to jock, he probably should have struck out <laughs> at a bat. Uh, so it started evening out. So, you know, if you're looking at the UMP scorecard for tomorrow, you know, I, I'm, I think the runs may end up kind of evening out. In terms of like you know win probability added, but we'll see. <laughs> the 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 the, the, the strike zone accuracy, I imagine is it can be good.
1: Area, I mean, there were so many obviously you know game day and MLB. dot com. So it's not always like absolutely perfect in real time, but there were so many misses um, being captured, and it was just not uh, not a good performance. There. Uh, and th- on this one, uh, the reason why I brought it up just now is because the Braves did benefit from that one because I, I Jock very clearly should have struck out on a, on a struck out looking on a third strike. Um, he bounced back from that, though. RBI single by Peterson to cut it down to 2-1 and then Duvall singles to tie it at 2. Uh, and then Darnot walks to load the bases. So you go from down 2 nothing to bases loaded in a tie game um, and then Dansby Swanson singles off Corey Seeker's glove. Uh, ball hit hard for sure. But, yeah, uh,
2: Seager, Seager hasn't had, I, w- I mean, I, it's hard to blame either of the plays that he's had, like, balls that he, it's possible he could have gotten to, but he hasn't had exactly a banner defensive series.
1: Before. No, I mean, the the one the other day where he just didn't get in front of it and kind of tried to, hand, uh, tried to backhand it, that didn't go well. And yeah, I think it's fair to say, like, either one of those not being made is, like, not a dire situation, but a play that, you know, if you do the math on those, he probably makes at least one of the two most of the time. Um, and he didn't make either one of them in this instance, which is of course helpful, helpful for the Braves, and that gives the Braves the lead. So within six batters, basically four, five, six batters, yeah, they go from down down two to up one. Uh here, here's an interesting one: uh, Ron Washington, who we made fun of uh, on Sunday night for never having a stop sign, throws up a stop sign for Adam Duvall, and I don't surprising. It was surprising. Um, I, I think with a a different third base coach, it wouldn't have been so surprising, but it still was a little bit weird in. Part because it was the pitcher spot up next, and yes, there's one out. You don't want to, you don't want to, you want to make the second out at home. I, I totally get all that, and you're now you're winning. Um, but Wash never holds anyone, and I, I think charitably, what you would, would probably say. And I haven't seen this. If anybody said it after the, after the game, my apologies if that has already come out. But I, I think Wash maybe held him because he because he thought they were going to pinch hit for Morton um, with Adrianza, who was already ready to pitch it, and was kind of like clearly going to come in um if the game was tied it felt like um maybe I'm wrong about that but either way it was not I think he would have scored because Duvall can really run and uh yeah it was just a a very strange time I'm not even sure what what, else to say it wasn't like it was a complete disaster decision but I think he would have scored maybe you disagree with me and I think it was just a very off-brand for Rob Washington
2: well, I mean, it was definitely off-brand for Ron Washington. I mean, I, I, him throwing up a stop sign was jarring. I just he just does, doesn't do that. Um, but I, I don't think it was like a disastrous decision. I and I understand it in the context of the series because now the Braves have a lead and getting some innings out of Charlie Morton with a bullpen game you know, coming up. I, I understand the the desire to at least want to preserve your bullpen somewhat. Um, especially since it looks like that they're going to be able to get Bueller out of the game early, give you some sort of advantage there. I, I understand the impulse. I do. And I, I, I don't necessarily blame them for that, but at the same time, it it definitely like didn't feel great to have, you know, a ton of base runners and have Charlie Morton at the plate, you know, but they still got another run out run out of it. So it wasn't again, it wasn't like total disaster fuel or anything like that, but I, I, I understand the impulse. It could have gone either way for me.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, Morton, Hits for himself. I didn't like it in the moment, I'll be honest. It wasn't one where I was throwing a fit about it. But if it's, you know, in the moment I was thinking, you know, I would have hit for him here. And part of that was because Morton just wasn't very good. Now, I think it does look better in retrospect because he did get six more outs. And, you know, those were six big outs. And he was much better after that. Um, Still, though, the counterpoint is that you could have broken it open. And... You don't know what's yeah. going to happen there. Uh, a lot of people pointed out that the Braves don't really have a great pinch hit option, and I certainly agree with that. We've kind of poked fun and uh, lamented the lack of bench pop right now that they have. So you hit Andre there. There's certainly no guarantees that he's going to do anything for you. Um, and they did it, they, they did tack one on because Eddie Rosario draws a basic load of walk. So you know, no, no complaints about being up four to two at the end of that inning. Um, the aggressive move would have been to take Morton out in that spot, but I'm I'm not in a place to just kind of, you know, criticize Snicker. And, you know, you know I, th- I think we both tweeted this during the game, and I still stand by it despite the loss. I think Snicker has done a pretty solid job in this series. Like, obviously, we, we talk about all of the things that he could or couldn't do on this podcast all the time, and there are some moves that I haven't loved, but I think he's done a better job than Dave Roberts, and I think he's been fine overall, so we're not trying to pile on. I just thought that that was one where – it was close. I would have leaned to hitting for Morton, but I also get both sides.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think has certainly outmanaged Dave Roberts. I think Roberts has made some pretty questionable decisions throughout the course of the series. And what cost the Braves in this game wasn't that decision or and wasn't any specific decision. You know, at the end of the day, what cost them that is some, like the Dodgers making plays, When they needed to, and particularly that Bellinger home run, which still uh, I keep watching, and I'm just like, how did that, how did he even hit it out? (laughs) Yeah, and also, I mean,
1: we'll get into it, of course, but it's not a situation where you lost this game with Chris Martin or Jacob Webb on the mound. Like you lost, you, you lost the lead with one of the guys that you've trusted all season long. That yeah, you could have maybe gone to Will Smith or whatever you want to say there, but like going down with Luke Jackson, who's been one of your three best relievers this season you're not going to get a whole lot of managerial flack for that. So we'll come back to it, of course. But I'm kind of with you. I mean, losing this game was not on the manager by any means. And, you know, we're not always the kindest on the decisions, but certainly a game where I'm not blaming the manager for what transpired. Um, One more thing before we get to a break and go to the second half of this contest. Uh, We have to try to have a little bit of fun on the show tonight. And uh, we have to bring up your, your, your proclamation from the last podcast about Walker Bueller. So if anybody missed this, uh, I think people. I think your your phone was blowing up for like ten minutes tonight. But uh, Walker Bueller was chased from this game uh, during the fourth inning, and you made quite a uh, proclamation on the last show, which I will make you share again what you said, and it's still very much in play. So no one's saying it's not. But uh, what what did you say on the last on the last podcast that got a lot of attention tonight?
2: Yeah, uh, I'm. I didn't. Ca- I stopped counting at around twenty tweets and or DMs about it, but. Uh... <laughs> On the last podcast, I said that if Walker Buehler, regardless of the result of the game, if he throws less than five innings tonight, that the Braves are going to win the series. I stand by that. The The Dodgers threw nine relievers in this game after throwing, what, eight and seven in the previous two games. I don't think their bullpen holds up over that. I think that they needed to be able to to save some guys. Now, like a couple guys like Vezio, for example, he only faced one hitter. But, you know, all that warming up and just having constantly just going to that bullpen, I understand that they have a pretty good bullpen, but they're really having to dip into it just to be able to get through the starts. And these are starts made by Max Scherzer and Walker Buehler. These are the, like the guys that were supposed to be preserving their bullpen and going deep into games and like really kind of keeping other o- opposing offenses in check. And they haven't been able to do that. So, you know, the result tonight obviously was bad. Uh, and I won't, well, there's no sugarcoating that. But I really do think now that, like the Braves have two games in hand, they've obviously losing tonight sunk. But I find think the Dodgers find themselves in a bit of a tough situation the rest of this series, particularly with how much they've had to use that bullpen. And I think the Braves are favored the rest of the way. I do. I have. I. I, I will not back off from that whatsoever.
1: I. I'm not gonna make you. Uh, we'll talk about that at the very end of the podcast. But I always wanted to make fun of that because it was a very a funny moment in the moment because of how many people. Oh, there. I. Were, uh, there tweeting so us. many people yes literally as soon as that pitching change was
2: made i mean like it was just like a constant my phone's constantly buzzing i've got like 30 <laughs> notifications you know like you know they're like he's out in the fourth you know and it was you know it's like so uh so braves go in the world series eric confirmed you know i i was a lot of that i got a kick out of that to be sure
1: yeah it was a funny moment and i wish the uh that ended better but that was a uh one to remember on some in some respects um, all right before we go to a break uh, the, f- the fifth inning also helped the Braves they actually took the five to two lead on a Adam Duvall RBI single following Ozzie Albi stealing second uh, Rao draws a walk and Jock gets Ozzy over and they, they kind of score in a small ball fashion in the fifth uh, Morton somehow gets through the fifth um, shots to him for getting those six extra outs and when he leaves the game it's five to two and you're in perfectly fine shape. Um, from there, not a whole lot to like pick apart until the eighth. The one thing that came up later on more so than in the moment, which is why I'm trying not to be a revisionist history kind of guy here. Um, what did you make of them going to mentor in the sixth? Cause that was a question I got a lot, got a lot after the game, like maybe why he came in against the bottom of the order. I didn't really mind it personally because of the formula they kind of been following for a while now, but clearly it would have been nice to have them available later on.
2: I mean, sure. Right. But like, you know, the, the, where, where he's pitching there's a, there's like several lefties involved. And I, I, I had no problems with that decision. I think that at the end of the day, you're like, you, you're bringing in Minter, you're bringing in Matzik, you're bringing in Luke Jackson and you're bringing in Will Smith. I think those are just the guys that they, they trust the most right now in terms of getting those final outs. Uh, Jesse Chavez has been warming up basically the entire game now. So I suppose that was another option, but I don't have any issues, particularly with, like, the lefties he was he was going up against in that particular situation. It seemed like a pretty good spot to use him. Obviously, you know, people can make assumptions about, like, who should be used in what specific high-leverage situations. But I, I – at the end of the day, I just didn't have any – it seems like that people will have problems with it, like, after the fact. They would, like – I would have used him in this spot. Um, and, you know, then and that the whatever reliever they would choose to have, like, you know, Jesse Chavez or Jacob or whoever would have just gotten these outs just as easily in that spot. And I don't think that's necessarily the case, particularly against a, a, a lineup as good as, you know, the Dodgers. And, you know, once we get you know, back from the break and all that, we can kind of talk a little bit about kind of why that the bullpen decisions ultimately I didn't think actually mattered all that much as opposed to kind of just what plays were made. But at the end of the day, like I, I don't have any problems with that decision.
1: Yeah, I just want to at least ask you because it came up in the mentions uh, later on in the evening, and that's sort of a bit of a foreshadowing to get into the end of this game. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show today.
0: Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on surprise, The Future of Work.
1: Continue. Uh, the seventh inning was fairly quiet, um, as you referenced in our document. Former Braves farmhand Evan Phillips came in the game for the Dodgers.
2: He did. He did. He did. I, I, I made, I made you cover it at
1: one point. So, uh, yeah, he uh, throws uh, when he
2: was in the minors. Threw really hard. Didn't, didn't really know where it was going, and he looked really good uh, he did. He <laughs> for did. the for the for the Dodgers. So, but I, I have a tough time being. It's one of those things where if I, you know, like if there's a former Braves minor leaguer. That's on the mound or at the plate. I, I like it's hard for me not to root for him a little bit because you know it's so hard to get back to the get to the major leagues. And in Evans' case, he was like dealt to the Orioles of all places in the Gauss in the Gaussman deal, and then he's been he's bounced around to a couple other teams because again in like teams like the Rays and the Dodgers, you know, really analytically oriented teams because the stuff is so good that if you can figure it out, like he's he could be a really useful bullpen piece. And you know he's landed with the Dodgers and. You know It's hard to argue with the results right now because the, the Braves couldn't do much of anything against them.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, at I always want to mention that because you, you brought it up here and uh, shouts to the Brave Marley system. Uh, your, your favorite sons, all of, them. Um, all of them. All of them. Okay, so here we are at the fireworks. Uh, you bring in Luke Jackson. Uh, that's the move they always make in that spot. Uh, You know, Matzik had been great in the seventh. He's been really good for a while now. Um, But given who he faced, I mean, Matzik came in to face Betts, Seeger and Trey Turner. Like, that's what you want. I mean, I trust Matzik more than Jackson, but that's what you, I mean, that's kind of what you, annihilate them. (laughs) Yeah. And then, and that's the thing, like, you know, I'm not a big fan of the, uh, being kind of a, you know, obligated or whatever, your process to kind of just use the same guys in every inning. But in that spot, like they didn't necessarily do that. They used Matzik, who I think has been their best reliever for a little bit now, um, against the top of the Dodgers' order. In so that, that worked out well. And then you bring in what, Jackson, who it, they trust. I mean, I don't know. I
2: do, I do want to make one note about the Matzik decision. It's it's using a lefty against that specific trio that we've seen the Braves do in this series already. And it kind of speaks to kind of what I had mentioned earlier, is that you know Mookie is not as good against lefties. And you obviously don't want to get beat by Seeger because he's, his his sole mission in life seems to be to beat beat the Braves in the playoffs, and then take your chances with Trey. And it seems like they, I think they figured something out with Trey specifically is that from the, if you're pitching from the left side, that if you're throwing breaking balls at his left at his back foot, like he will swing at them and look bad doing it. And that's exactly how Matzik got him out, and that's how that's how Minter handled him. It seems like they might have figured something out with that particular part of the lineup as to how they want to handle it. Uh, either use Matzik or use Minter, you know, and just, you know, just... they. I think they have a plan for how to deal with that particular part of the lineup. So I was happy to see how they executed
1: it. Yeah, that worked out just fine. And, you know, you go to Luke Jackson, I know there was a... There was a argument happening in my mentions tonight. It wasn't really involving me about whether Luke had been good this year. Um, which... This is maybe... Um,
2: sure. I yeah, guess. so
1: <laughs> long story short, it was about his peripherals versus ZRA and all this stuff. Uh, obviously, his peripherals are not quite what ZRA is. No one's going to argue that, but I, I think it is fair to say that Luke Jackson's pitch well this year. Uh, he has a sub-2 ERA this season. Yes, his peripherals are more on like, the mid-threes, high threes, but that's still fairly good. Um, anyway, he comes in, uh, and there's a little bit of uh, their issues right away. It was uh, a couple of singles follow- uh, from Smith and Pollock. And then the fateful home run by Bellinger on a 1-2 pitch. And we talked about it earlier, but it's worth emphasizing yet again. It was not a strike. It wasn't fairly close to being a strike. Um, it takes a pretty special talent to hit that ball over the, over the wall. And Bellinger's been terrible this season, but he is a former like MVP-level player. So you can't just kind of fake that. And you know, this is my own observation, and I'm not a pitching expert, but I want to know what you think. I think his slider was pretty bad you know he's no he's known for a slider obviously and that's his best pitch he hung a few in this game um and I think maybe that was why they went fastball one and two Uh, even the out that he got before the Bellinger uh home run was a pretty hanging slider that he just got away with um I don't know I I, there was a lot there was a big discussion about whether they should have thrown fastball one and two and locations and all this stuff and at the end of the day it's kind of like where I am is that you kind of have to tip your hat just because it wasn't a strike, and Luke had just blown a fastball by him the previous pitch, or maybe two pitches before that. So, I, you know, it's it sucks, but sometimes there's just, like, not anybody to just blame. Like, sometimes there's not, like, a situation or a mistake that just happened, and sometimes the guy's just better than you. And that is kind of what I think happened here with Bellinger.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the of the two pitches, those two fastballs that were high, one was, like, clips the top of the zone. That was a much scarier pitch. Uh, because, and, he, and, he blew, and he blew it by him. I mean yeah, and, he was late and, on it. And this next one's like four or five inches up out of the zone. I mean, I, I don't know how many players are even capable of hitting that pitch out in the major leagues right now. And I certainly wouldn't think Belger, of all the guys who's like seems vulnerable to those high pitches, he likes to swing at them and not do much with them. So that's a pitch to make. And I agree with you on the slider. He wasn't it just it wasn't diving out of the zone or in a way that was useful. It, it wasn't just the out that he got. There was a couple sliders where I'm like, please don't throw that there again, because like it was like you know middle or like you know. He didn't have it today. He just, outer, he just outer, didn't. Outer, outer, no, it's just the the slider was not sliding, and when it doesn't do that, that's a scary pitch to throw because, particularly, you know lefties get a long look at it. And if you, I don't know, I'm certainly fine. I'm certainly feel a lot better about Bellinger having to hit that pitch out because I want him swinging at that pitch a hundred times out of a hundred. I want him to swing at that pitch. But if you hang a slider to him and he hits it out, that feels significantly worse to me. Now, both the results are essentially the same, but in terms, like, you have to think about the process here a little bit. And, you know, at the end of the day, if his slider's not working and you get him to swing at a fastball out of the zone, and he ends up doing that with it, then that's what happens. You know, at the end of the day, that's the problem with this Dodgers team is that you can do everything that you want to do. You can execute everything the way you want to, and they can still beat you because all these guys are, you know, maybe Bellinger hasn't been good, but it's not like the guy isn't talented and there's a ton of talent and dangerous hitters in this lineup. And that's what happened in this game. It's just like, eventually the, the, you know, they just figured things out and got the job done.
1: Yeah. And Okay, here's where we get into the the only thing that I would say. you know, A lot of – I'm sure it's just frustration from Braves fans and it's Twitter and people are angry, and I, and I totally get it. Um, a couple of bullpen decision things now that we talked about that with, with Jackson. First of all, on the Bellinger home run, the only thing the Braves could have even thought about doing there was going to Will Smith. Um, Jackson had already pitched three batters, so he could have come out of the game. And with Bellinger there – but then you're asking Will Smith to get five outs, probably. And has he done that all year? I don't think he has, or he even tried to do it all year. I don't even know if he's available to, th- to throw that to throw two innings or multiple innings. That's a question that maybe Sticker gets asked. But, I mean, on the Bellinger thing, that's the only thing I can think of that you could have done differently is maybe put in Smith there, lefty on lefty against Bellinger. But don't they just hit for Bellinger anyway? I mean, probably.
2: I mean, they, they, they could hit for Bellinger. Uh, it's worth noting that I'm – Terrified of the idea against of like Will Smith being locked in against like a, the the Dodgers in general. So I'm not sure if how, how much the result even could have been the same. Because um, if you're talking about leaving a slider fat or you know leaving yeah. a fastball a fastball fat, you know the one guy who seems like a prime candidate to do that is Will Smith. So
1: it really just comes down to like, is he even available to to try to get five right. outs? And I, and I don't know the answer to that. I, I don't really mind. Just sticking with Jackson there, Bellinger. I know he's a big name and a former like you know top 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 tier player, but he's been bad this season. And they trust Luke. And again, wasn't even a bad pitch, so I, I didn't have a problem with that. But people were asking like, you know, what could they have done? And the only yeah. thing they could have done there at least on that decision was maybe go to Smith. Like there's no way they're going to anybody else in that spot. It's, it's Jackson or Smith. And even then it's yeah. probably, probably yeah. going to be just
2: bring, bring in Jesse Chavez to go against Cody Bellinger does not seem like the play to me. Well, but... speaking, speaking, yeah.
1: speaking of Chavez. So that was the other decision people were asking about and kind of wondering what we thought about. So, you know, they bring in Chavez after Luke gives up another single to Taylor after the home run. Um, it was time to get Luke at that point. I think he uh, was not his best clearly. Um, they bring in Chavez, and my my only point was, and you know, it was kind of during the meltdown, uh, the continued meltdown. My only point was, if you don't want to go to Chavez, there, who do you want to go to? And there wasn't really a great answer that was given back to me because, look, I mean, we talked about this even when they were winning games early in the series. They don't have a lot of depth that you trust. They Snicker seems to trust four guys. He trusts Smith and Jackson and Sick and Minter. and Minter and that's basically it. I mean, they brought in Martin in. Uh, Earlier, uh, uh, what well, was in the eighth inning on Sunday, um, yeah. But you know, the difference between Chavez and Martin or Webb is not big enough for me to really care. Um, so, I mean, somebody mentioned Enoa, like no, <laughs> and, thank and, you.
2: Uh, and more importantly, Chavez. As much as he's had to warm up over the course of the game, I'm not sure if they would even want to throw him tomorrow. Because yeah, maybe when not. You warm up that when when you warm him up that much over the course of a game, you mean like he's he'd just been like throwing like. Off and on throughout the course of the game, and, and that's they I mean, never, yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a big part of it.
1: It, it probably is, yeah. I mean, Sticker's definitely a, a someone who's cognizant of that stuff, and that's this is when the Mentor thing came up because, yes, in a perfect world, would you rather had Chavez face the bottom of the order uh, in the sixth, or have and have Mentor available on this spot? Yes, but in that same world, you know, it would have looked silly to not pitch Mentor at all in this game. Which would have happened if Jackson was just his normal self, you know what I mean? like it's kind of a you can't have it perfectly and i'm I'm guilty to of yeah. you know trying to overlay a lot of stuff, but yeah it, in, in hindsight, when things go wrong, it would have been better if things had gone right, well, right. <laughs> exactly man. I mean, you know what I mean though like if they use Chavez in the sixth, he pitches well and then they just do their standard progression from there, and you go to Madsick jackson and uh and Smith. I might bring up after the game why they didn't use AJ Minter tonight. You know what I mean? Like that, that might happen. So at at the end of the day, Chavez was not good in this game. You know, I I will certainly admit that having Jesse Chavez in the biggest game of your season facing Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, Trey Turner, and Will Smith is not what I want. If I'm a Braves fan, Uh, that, that goes without saying, but, uh, but again, (laughs) you have to give me an alternative and, you may prefer Chris Martin. You may prefer Jacob Webb. Uh, that's fine. But the gap between those guys is just not very big. Uh, so unless you wanted to go to Will Smith there because you just think that Will Smith is your guy and you go to him, that's I, I would at least listen to that because Will Smith is you know as much as he's been getting piled on this this season, he is one of their high leverage guys. That would have been the only thing that I could have been like, okay, that's he's definitely better than Chavez is Will Smith. And you're bringing Will Smith to get, again to get four or five outs, and I don't know if he's equipped, equipped for that. So, long story short, you can quibble with it if you want to, and I'm I'm fine quibbling with stuff. But I just don't know who, who else you put in. I mean, do you have a preference? Is is somebody that screaming screaming for you to put in ahead of Chavez? Is it is it Martin because he's just been there before? I don't know. Uh
2: no, no one that have a strong preference for right and. Again, like in, in terms of hindsight, like the idea in that inning is you only have to throw Luke Jackson, right? Well, that's the plan. That's, so, again, that's, that's yeah, the that, whole point. That, so I mean, like if, if folks are getting like genuinely that upset about bullpen decisions, when the guy that like Luke just was the guy, and I, no one had any issues with Luke Jackson coming into that game whatsoever, he like as good as he as good as he's been in big spots, particularly in the second half for this Braves team. And like, he's the guy that you want to get through that inning and then get to Will Smith. But when things go sideways, all of a sudden, everyone has these strong opinions about how they would have handled things, what pitches they should have been thrown and things like that. When at the end of the day, he just got beat by some really good hitters. And then the Braves found themselves with somewhat lacking options down the line because they had used good options, in important leverage situation. They preserved that three run lead through the seventh inning. Because they were using guys like Matzik and Minter to preserve it. If you have you know guys like Jesse Chavez coming in instead in the sixth inning, you have no guarantee whatsoever that the Dodgers don't just go off on him in the sixth inning. None. because I mean at the end of the day it's thirty what 37, 38 year old Jesse Chavez or Jacob Webb or you know a Chris Martin, all those guys are not necessarily super reliable arms. But once things go sideways and you you start running out of guys, they just don't they don't have like a bullpen that's seven guys deep of guys throwing like with a tu two or ERA. They just don't have that, and I don't think that very many teams at all have that. So when you kind of get down to the nitty gritty of it, it when things go sideways, it, it, decisions quote unquote look worse in hindsight. But it's just because one of your really good guys got beat tonight, and that stinks.
1: Yep occasionally it's just that it's that simple that one of the guys you trust and that th- this is the downside if you want to say that to being as formulaic as the Braves have been because it's really been almost weirdly formulaic in this playoff run because of how well it's worked they could just kind of end the game at the end of the sixth inning or in the middle of the sixth inning and just hand the ball to the Sick Jackson Smith trio and the bullpen's been so good I mean, we talked about it on Sunday's yep. show. The bullpen numbers before tonight were just unbelievably good. This, I mean, they were kind of, pro- they were probably due for something of a blow up. Maybe not, maybe not this bad, but, you know, their ERA for the bullpen was like sub one coming into tonight, something like that in the playoffs. I mean, Enoa you know yeah, and, and, and the one and guy the who blew up was Enoa. T-
2: like, yep. Yeah. And then you have two walk off wins, too. I mean, that.
1: Yeah, they've been running hot. Yep. I mean, that's the thing. You know, Tonight I, was unlucky in a was... lot of ways, but they've been running hot before this. They, they have been, so. Yep, absolutely. It's just one of those things. Um, all right, moving on from there, we kind of dissected that as much as we possibly can, but, um, you know, Chavez just misses against Betts, and Betts is probably going to the Hall of Fame one day uh, and hits a 107-mile-an-hour liner that's just smoked in the gap, and they take the lead. You know, credit to Chavez for not getting out of hand there. You know, he they intentionally walks eager, and then, gets beat on an infield single to Trey Turner, but they, he gets Will Smith to end the inning and keep give, give him a chance. But Kenley Jansen was Kenley Jansen in the ninth. Um, a weird at-bat by Austin Riley, who has been awesome, so no criticism, but he just kind of froze on like a pitch that wasn't even a great pitch from Kenley. That was a weird thing for him, because he's, he's been so locked in, it was just weird to see and him yeah. not have a good at-bat.
2: Yeah, and the at-bat itself before that was
1: good. Yeah, it, it was like falling off pitches. It was yep. like It was like a
2: seven-pitch at-bat. He seemed like he... I don't know what he was looking for. Maybe he was just shell-shocked or just, like, I don't know what he was looking Maybe he thought that there was a pitch in the dirt coming, and, you know, Kenley just got him. But, like, that was a pitch that was right in Austin's wheelhouse, and he just watched it go into the mitt. So that was definitely a weird one. But other than that, I mean, like, and, you know, Jock and Duvall, Kenley just ate the He struck out the side. Much.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's he's really good when he's good, and he was good in this game. And at that point, you're the underdog, clearly, after giving up the lead and all that. But. We can leave it there in terms of the nuts and bolts, but brutal. Um, Again, six outs to go, three-run lead. You're just supposed to win a large majority of the time, and they didn't win this one. But uh, one side of my brain wants to dwell in the Atlanta sports zone because I've seen this movie many times. Um, And the word Leritz was, like, trending on my timeline this evening. Uh, The Leritz references were Flying. I get that because of a similar situation in a lot of ways. Um,
2: there, there, there are certainly some similarities. There are some yeah.
1: similarities there. Uh, if you're too long, if you're too young to know about Jim Lairitz, Google it. Um, but the 96 World Series is what we're talking about there. Uh, with the Braves, we're leading 2-0 in that series. Um, anyway, uh, game four looms on Wednesday. It's a turnaround. Uh, there's no off day in between. We are just go, go, go. Um, After the game, Snicker confirmed what was expected the entire time, which is that it's going to be a bullpen game of some sort for the Braves in Game 4. Now, what that actually means is up for debate. And he was not going to give details, nor should he give details to the public right now. But essentially, they don't have a four-starter right now that anybody trusts. So you can get through the series with this being the only game that's a bullpen game because you can come back with Max Fried on full rest in Game 5. But Game 4... Is going to be some combination of your relievers. Uh, you have two longer guys in Waskar Enoa and Drew Smiley. Uh, Enoa has been pretty darn bad the last like month or so. His last eight starts in regular season had a, a near six ERA. He was pretty bad in his one appearance against the Brewers. Smiley hasn't pitched in two and a half weeks. Um, he was warming up tonight, but didn't come into the game. Obviously, he was pretty good out of the pen in September, but you know clearly Smiley, as much as I've uh, kind of defended him, is not this great option. So. They don't have a great multi-inning option. Um, they might use both these guys. They might use Chavez. I mean, in the regular season, as you remember, Eric, in September, they used an opener, I think, three or four times, and it was Chavez that was the guy that they were using in that role. Uh, I don't really think it matters too, too much. You know, Minter famously opened last year uh, in the playoffs and pitched great in that in that role. So they they have, they have some yeah, options. Yeah, right. he went he like three innings. Yeah, he went in three like, innings and was great. Yeah. Uh, they have some options, for sure, but uh, it goes without saying, but... Everybody who can pitch will pitch. I don't know what that means everybody's available because, you know, they had a day off yesterday, but, you know, a lot of guys pitch tonight. We'll see who's available and who's not. But you figure you got 27 outs to get and you got a bunch of pitchers to get them. Uh, And the only guys who you would think would be, like, totally unavailable would be Freed and Morton. Uh, yeah, because I mean, Freed, Freed goes they're... the next day, and Morton today. Morton today. I mean, Anderson might have a throw day. Like, maybe he's available, like on a one inning throw day kind of thing that we've seen. I don't know if they're gonna actually do that. I doubt it, to be honest. But everybody else should be available. You'd imagine.
2: Yeah, I don't think there's any chance that Morton would, <laughs> would throw in the game. No, Mor- sure. Yeah,
1: Morton and Freed are not gonna pitch. I mean, unless yeah. something just incredibly crazy yeah. happens, they're not. They're not, they're not pitching.
2: I mean, the, the Braves are somewhat fortunate in that. Meanwhile, I don't, I'm not have a high, don't have the highest level of confidence in the, you know uh, Ord Smiley. Uh, those are two guys that can throw multiple innings, um, and in theory, if they're pitching reasonably well, they will do so. Um, you know, the Chavez things. The the open with Chavez is to kind of set up Smiley, right? Because if you open with Chavez, then it feels like that they will put together that like that top of the lineup that will be good against the righty. And that way, you can, you know, maybe set up having Smiley being set up for success later on down in the, the lineup. But, you know, my my gut tells me that one of Enoa or Smiley is going to get the start, and I'm not going to be shocked if it's Enoa, uh, even though you're absolutely right that he hasn't looked nearly as good, uh, particularly since coming back from the injured list. You know, and I've had my reservations about Enoa you know, as a starter to begin with, but this isn't like a typical starting situation at all. Um, and after that, you know, Jacob Webb didn't pitch tonight. Uh, Chris Martin didn't pitch tonight. Will Smith didn't pitch tonight. And you have some guys that you can probably run out there. You, you, at some point, you can't keep running Matzik out there. I think he, like you know, giving him a day at some point would be good. But he's been so good that I think they're going to lean on him as much as possible. I think they'll stay away from Luke uh, because he had a bad night tonight. And maybe giving him a day would be good. But beyond that, I mean, it's going to be all hands on deck. And honestly, it could be the same for the Dodgers, too, because they've, they've thrown a bunch of guys, including Urias, who threw, who threw in game two, and I still maintain that was a mistake because now he's got to make his third appearance in six days. And, you know, the, the Braves didn't seem particularly fooled by him in that relief appearance. I, I don't know if that necessarily – maybe the Dodgers end up going kind of with that, what Roberts mentioned was that maybe he throws in game five and not game four. But then, like, who's throwing in Game 4? Like, game 4 is going to be a really weird game, I think, in terms of how it's managed and how it's pitched by both sides. And, you know, obviously it's going to be a pretty important game, and we'll see which offense can kind of capitalize on the decisions made.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to look for some indications in, for the postgame of what they're what the Dodgers are going to do. It'll either be Urias or it will be a bullpen game, and I don't really know the answer to that um, as because of what you said. You know, it might be the fifth game, whatever. however they handle that. But, you know... It goes without saying, but you treat it like an like elimination game. You you treat this game like you need to win it for your season. And we'll see what that looks like. But you need to be aggressive. Uh, everybody pitches that can pitch. We might have to see guys who haven't thrown to this point. Like Drew Smiley hasn't pitched in a long time. He probably pitches maybe tomorrow at some point. Um, we'll see. I don't really know what to make of it. He's not going to tell anybody ahead of time, most likely. I mean, obviously, they have to announce a starter at some point, but it'll be uh, maybe a one-inning guy to start things. So we'll see. I think the, the Braves will be underdog in the betting market on in Game 4 because it's in, it's in Los Angeles. And even even tonight, when the Braves had a relatively neutral pitching matchup, the Dodgers were pretty were pretty heavily favored in the market. Um, <laughs> Solaire, by the way, is still out. That kind of came out today. Not came out today, but... There's pretty much no chance he plays while they're in L.A. They're hoping maybe he plays in Atlanta if the series returns. Um, uh, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, this is kind of funny, and we'll end the podcast here, because I I know you mentioned earlier you think the Braves are the favorite in the series. I totally understand that. Um, Fangraphs agrees with you. Fangraphs gives the Braves a 55.6% chance to win the series at this moment in time. I thought it was funny, though, that our friends at 538 currently make the series 50-50. <laughs> cowards cowards, cowardice <laughs> from the model of 538 um no I, yeah i don't know i I'm, I'm of two minds if i if i turn off my broken atlanta sports brain that or heart probably is more like it uh, if i turn if i turn that off and look at this thing analytically i think i would probably be with you and give the braves a slight advantage in the series um the other side of my brain that has just seen too much is just like expecting the worst at this moment because of how things flip tonight. Like I just saw a stat from our own Steven Tolbert um, where, you know, the Braves had one extra base hit tonight and it was the only one that they got credited on extra base hit tonight uh-huh. was the Gavin, what was the Gavin Lux play that wasn't even really a hit. It was more of an error. So yeah, like
2: and that's, that's not, that's not a recipe for success for the Braves. No, they I mean, this, is, the this is
1: a team that we talked about it a lot, but this is a team that's based heavily on power and it has been the entire time. Um, oh, Oh, Okay, uh, it looks like the Dodgers just named Julio Urias as their starter for Game Four. So, uh, forget what I just said about that. He's going to pitch in Game, in game Four uh, per multiple Completely sources. Completely ignore that. Um, live, live updates. This Peter is why this podcast. is why I keep looking during the show just to make sure nothing, nothing uh, comes out. So there you go. Uh, Urias is going to be the guy for the Dodgers. Uh, so yeah, clearly, if we're being objective, advantage Dodgers pitching wise tomorrow. Urias is good. And he's an actual starter, and the Braves are going to be throwing a bullpen game. So on paper, this is not ideal for Atlanta. Uh, still, though, we've seen them put some stuff together, and you know the offense maybe just due for a little bit of a breakout. And the, Urias is not unhittable by any means; like he can, he can be gotten, as we've seen. So I don't know. You've you've kind of staged your case. Do you think it's trending more like towards Braves in seven at this point, um, or how how confident are you at this moment versus where we were, you know? Three hours ago, uh,
2: I'll say I'll say Braves in seven. I think that's completely fair. I mean, look, I, I when we before this series started, I I had like in a vacuum, not looking at kind of what's happened and how things have unfolded. I said the Dodgers in six, and it's because I really respect this lineup. Uh, I think that they're legitimately scary. Now, I think how the things have gone down has there's been a lot that's gone the Braves' way. You know, the two walk getting two walk off wins including beating Scherzer and you've like the Dodgers have had to just use the crap out of their bullpen and their pitching staff. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that I think that the Braves could very easily win tomorrow uh, just because I think that they've played against Urias pretty well uh, this year. Anyway, uh, in the bullpen in the, in the playoffs last year, not so much, but I I think that, you know, this year particularly, you know, he certainly looks shaken when he was brought in in the bullpen in game two, and you know the Braves ended up, you know, getting right back into that game right off of him. I think that the, this lineup is pretty good uh, against lefties in particular, despite some of the some platoon issues uh, with kind of the guys they've been relying on so far. I, I would not be shocked if the Braves won tomorrow. Uh, you know, it's it's always kind of hard to project what's going to be happening with a bullpen bullpen game situation, um, but if managed correctly. And, you know, everyone executes the way they're supposed to. I think that the Braves could squeak this one out, especially if the offense shows up and they're actually showing some power in, in Dodger Stadium. I I still maintain that this Dodgers team is scary. Uh, and they're, they won 106 games for a reason. But I think that things line up well enough for the Braves that I th- still think that they win this game. And I'll say Braves in seven right now.
1: Yeah, totally reasonable. Um, like I said, My my brain tells me the same. Um, Clearly, it would have been you know if the Braves win tonight. I mean, I think it's not even worth saying almost. But if they win tonight, they are you know ninety five percent favorites. Oh yeah,
2: then then, yeah then I'm
1: I'm very confident in their ability to win
2: one of the next four. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, yeah, it's a big. It was a big. This was this one
1: hurts. Clearly, we. I think everybody knows that. But just even percentage wise, like it's probably a forty point gap. Uh, win or lose tonight. And that's just, that's a, that's a big swing, but yeah, I think they're, they're okay. You know, if you lose game, if you, if you lose game four, I will say that they are no longer the favorite in the series. Um, That, that is not, not, that's that's, that's not, that's not breaking news, but you know, going back to the beginning, going back to the beginning of this thing, the Dodgers were the favorite in my mind. Not that the Braves could win by any means, but given the momentum swinging, I don't care how much you believe in that, but if it's two to two, uh, after the way things started and the way that tonight was going I, I will pick the Dodgers probably at that point So that kind of tells you how how important game four is that's not breaking news, but um, We'll see if the Braves can bounce back. Uh, this is a resilient bunch. You know the team destiny stuff has, has been a real snicker was pretty um, Matter of fact tonight on the podium about how they were not going to let this kind of you know beat them twice Essentially was the way that I'm not sure he said that exact thing, but that was kind of the tenor of the comments So we'll see how they react to it but uh, a brutal one for everybody involved on this night uh, I wish we were celebrating a game three win and uh, looking ahead a little bit with more confidence but still in a five position I mean I'll I'll leave you with this Eric if I told you three or four days ago the Braves have a 2-1 lead in the series you kind of have to take that I th- I think
2: oh absolutely and I actually I probably would have put it more like it was more likely the Dodgers were going to be two game, like up two games to one uh, just because of like you know the quality of the starting pitchers they have combined with again the respect that I have for that lineup, I think that ultimately you know you have to be pretty happy if you're a Braves fan as to where they are currently. I know that a lot of people are in their feelings right now in terms of like well this is just like last year, et cetera, et cetera, and I completely understand that because this is a very, very, very winnable game and you know a, a confluence of disasters you know resulted in that not happening, but ultimately you know considering where the Braves I've been saying this, you know, since the Braves started the playoffs is that they're playing with house money and that they're in a position where they, you know, weren't even supposed to be. And then they, they beat a Brewers team that I think we all thought they were better than and they did. And now they're in a Dodgers series, which I was, I didn't even pick them to win. And they're, it's not, this is not, they're not being completely outclassed by the Dodgers. The Dodgers had to sneak one out here. And then the Braves really played well to come back and win two games earlier in the series. Uh, they're right in this thing. I think it's going to be really, really close. It's going to be a bunch of really close games. And, you know, ultimately I still think the Braves are favored. Uh, I, and I kind of stated my reasoning as to why that is, but ultimately, you know, these are two really, really good teams and a lot, a lot of things can happen. And ultimately it just comes down to execution.
1: Agreed. And we'll, uh, we'll get after this thing on Wednesday evening. I think I'll be joined by Scott Coleman for a very, very late night episode. and give you a little bit of time to potentially sleep another hour. Uh, tomorrow night eric but uh i appreciate Aww, your efforts thanks, buddy uh to I the, like la- two of the last three nights uh, you know we we, circ- we circled the early game to uh hopefully uh not you know make scott lose his mind on that one and uh, you and i were dialed up for this one i was all over the place tonight but we're here and i'm uh, i'm hoping we're talking again very soon on this feed in celebratory fashion but for now we will be back after game four to recap that and much much more and I want to say um, to you, thank you. And also to everybody listening to the podcast. I want to thank everybody for listening for sure. And also subscribing and rating and reviewing the podcast. It's been a huge response. We are very grateful. I know we poked fun earlier about the volume of responses to what you said on the podcast the other day. Uh, that was, was cool. so to see. many. Um, it was so, so many. Again, thank you to everybody for listening. Eric, please plug anything you got going because I know you've been busy and we will be busy the rest of the series.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's all playoff baseball all the time right now, so I do want to just kind of echo, Brad, make sure that you're subscribing to the podcast. Tell your friends about the podcast and make sure they subscribe to them. We've gotten a lot of new listeners, a lot of, a lot of downloads over the last few weeks with all this playoff coverage. We do really, really appreciate all that support. Uh, I also want to give a little shout out to Sean Coleman, who's been an amazing addition to the podcast staff.
0: Absolutely, he's done a
2: great jo- he's done a great job with the Daily Hammer, uh, holding holding down the fort when we we don't have the flagship show going. Obviously, during the playoff run, we've been you've certainly been hearing from Brad Scott and myself a lot more. But I, you know, filling in the gaps and just being just kind of an addition to the kind of the coverage that we give. Sean's been Sean's been awesome, and you know when we had to do the preview show and we had to kind of. You know, to figure out figure out folks that could actually participate with Brad traveling and Scott was unavailable. You know, Sean was ready to jump in and I thought he did a great job on that preview show. So just I, I just want to give, give a special shout out to them and also a shout out to Chris Wilson, the staff over in Talking Chop. The, the the written coverage over on the site's been fantastic over the course of the playoffs. So make sure that you're going to the site, Talking reading those articles and you know letting those folks know how much you appreciate them because they've been especially you know our fearless leader Chris. He's constantly you know working tirelessly to provide a, just a ton of coverage and keeping play, fans up to date and he doesn't get enough love uh so i want to make sure we like give a little love to him
1: he's all right no i'm kidding uh i love chris we've been working <laughs> together for a long time uh, chris and i've been working together for almost a decade at this point which is crazy in different places covering the hawks first and now on brave stuff so uh Shouts to Chris and Sean, everybody else you mentioned, and I guess Scott will be back soon.
2: Yeah, make sure make, make sure you guys ask Chris why he doesn't uh, follow the NBA anymore. That's gonna that that's an always an inter- <laughs> that that's, <laughs> that's
1: that, that that'll get that'll elicit some entertaining. That well was a side conversation play. in Slack today that we can revisit at some other time. But uh, thank you, Eric, for joining the podcast. As always, as for everybody else, one more time, please subscribe, rate, review, and we'll see you after. Games.